Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are alive and you're working. Thank you for vision, for stirring people, your children, your sons and your daughters, to make a difference, to be life-giving, Jesus, as you are life-giving. Thank you in advance. We're a month out, but thank you for the opportunity to serve, to take 60 minutes, Jesus, of your day, the one that you're going to provide, and invest it in, in giving to those who are in need right now. Well, Holy Spirit of God, we're gathered here. We're going to open the scriptures. And Holy Spirit, Jesus said that you are going to lead us and guide us into truth and remind us of everything that Jesus taught and said. So Holy Spirit of God, open our mind and hearts to receive from you so we can live more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, if you need a Bible, I think we have them in the back. Man, I could be wrong. If you need a Bible, just slip it up really quick. If you already own a Bible or have an app, uh, slip it up. Someone will get a Bible to you. To the end of Romans 8, we're going to reread what we looked at last week and then continue on to Romans 9. If you're new, uh, we're in a long series in Romans, and you can get all the teachings at our website or on iTunes on a podcast. Uh, let's read from verse 37 of Romans 8, and then we'll continue on to 9, verses 1 through 5. It says, no, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right now, if you were here last week, we discovered that you and I are more than conquerors. You have overwhelming victory. And not because you're good, although you probably are at something. It's because God has been good to you. And Jesus has been faithful to you and me. We whether we believe it or not, whether our circumstances show it or not. God's plan for us in the future is overwhelming victory. So I get to enjoy bits of that right now. Overwhelming victory. But now Paul takes a radical left turn. Overwhelming victory through Jesus. But then read chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 because it seems as if he forgets about his victory. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing ceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. There's are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. What in the world is he? What's going on? One moment, overwhelming victory. And then he turns around and says, I am full of sorrow and full of anguish over what he sees. Remember, uh, Paul is talking about God's great love in chapters 7 and 8. 
But sometimes love turns to what the Jewish writers would call a lament. Say lament. Lament isn't a word that we use in English. Uh, it's not in our culture, but it's a Bible word. And you see it in many of the Psalms. There are Psalms of lament. It's where the author pours out their soul raw. They lay it out. God, I'm angry. God, why us? And in doing that, they're being honest with God about their sorrow and their unceasing anguish. And in a psalm of lament, somewhere in it, they turn their eyes back to God. But God, you are our salvation. And there are moments in life where going from love to lament just makes sense. Sometimes life doesn't work out according to plan. Would you agree? That business started and failed. Sometimes you don't make it as far as you want. Your health, it was good, but then you get a doctor's report and your health is gone. Or the relationship that was going to last a lifetime doesn't even make it to a decade. There are times and seasons in life where it's right to go from love and joy into lament. And the Bible writers aren't afraid to do that. So I want to release you to do that as well. You can follow Jesus, but have seasons where you're filled, your heart is filled with anguish, and you don't know why. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. You've lost. But then it, it pushed you back to look at God. Others of you are in seasons of lament right now. You're walking through it, and the wound is fresh, and the pain is real, and you've stumbled into church, and you're wondering, is there a message for me, why does Paul jump from unceasing praise to God to unceasing anguish? Sometimes love, uh, love sometimes leads us to lament. That's what I want us to see this morning. Love sometimes will lead you to a place of sorrow. Sometimes it will lead you. If you really care about something, it will really hit you in the gut when things don't go according to plan. And now Paul... In this section that we're looking at, Romans 9 through 11, is about the people of the good news. We've, we've seen the message of the good news and the heart of the good news. And now uh, we, we've seen the hope of the good news. And now we're stepping into a section that's it's quite misunderstood. Many people just gloss by Romans 9 through 11 because you read it and you're like, I don't understand why is Paul so caught up about what's going to happen to a group called Israel? Now, we're going to look at that over the next couple of months before school is done. We're going to finish chapter 11, then take a break for the summer and come back to Romans in the fall. But I want you to know what Paul is just processing. He is someone who is part of a people called Israel. They're God's people for thousands of years. God spoke, related to, lived with one group of people more than the rest. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Moses and to David. God had been dealing with one group of people with a goal that was bigger. God never designed to do life with just one group, but in order to do life with everyone, he wanted to show the world his love. So he shows it to a group called Israel. They had the law. They had the temple. They had God's presence, and they had God's favor, but something happened. Jesus comes and changes everything. 
And so look at the beginning of Romans, Romans 1.16. I'll throw it on the screen for time. He says, this is the message of the good news. This is all of Romans in one sentence. For I am not ashamed of the good news, because it is the power of God that brings salvation, that brings rescue to everyone. The theme in our study of Romans is good news for everyone. Why? Because that's God's plan. Everyone who trusts, everyone who believes. Then he's got this little section that's misunderstood. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What's that mean? Are Jews more highly favored by God than others? No. He's doing it in order of sequence. He's reading history. God spoke to this group of people that we call Israel to set up the coming of his son Jesus. So, of course, the good news was heard by Jewish people first because they had the law. They had the words of Moses. They had David. They had history with God. First to the Jew, then to the non-Jew. But in Jesus, the good news comes to everybody. And this is where all of history changes. Yes, a couple of thousand years of all of world history, one group of people pointing to one Messiah, one deliverer who's going to save, and that is Jesus. Now, here's what Paul experienced. Quickly, within a couple of decades of the Jesus movement, Jesus dies, rises again, and the message starts to spread. It's spread by Jews. Peter and James and John, they're all Jewish heritage. They start spreading the message of good news. Within a few decades, churches are started all over the Roman Empire, ironically, filled with mostly non-Jews. The very people that God came to first, the very people that, um, that the Messiah emerged from, mostly reject Jesus. Now, some accepted him, but mostly. And so Paul's writing to a church in Rome, the center of the Roman Empire, and he's, he's, he's enjoying the fact that God is working but his love turns to lament because he thinks, like, man, my own countrymen, my own people, they, they, haven't, they haven't followed Jesus, the Messiah. Yet those who don't have the history, they're jumping in. And so his love stirs him to something. And I think that genuine love, hear me, friend, genuine love should move you to something. When you really care it's got to be more than hearing about. Something has to switch within where, where you'll want to do something. And that's where Paul is. That's why he goes from joy into sorrow. Now the question of Romans 9 through 11 that we're not going to answer today is who is God's people? For centuries, the people of Israel would say, we are God's people. If you want to be God's people, you must become a Jew. But now in Jesus the Messiah the door has seemed to fling wide open. And now, you don't have to become a Jew, ethnically, culturally, to follow the Jewish Messiah. We're not going to get into that. I want you just to see the heart this morning. Look at verse 1 again. I speak the truth in Christ. Like, if Messiah is watching me, I, I'm telling you the truth. And then in case you don't get it, I'm not lying. And in case you really don't get it, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit, okay? He's basically saying, like, look, I'm not playing around here. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now, we're going to see 
what God's doing, and he's going to lay it out in these two chapters about how God's creating a worldwide family from every nation, ethnic group, that, that all nations are now going to follow God through, through his Messiah. I just want to look at the soul of the person writing and hear his heart. Um, we did a study before Romans in the book called Acts. And we saw a pattern, and I'm just going to remind you if you missed it, we have probably 85 messages from Acts, I can't remember. It took us forever. That go through the story of the early community, the early church. But know the pattern is the same. Wherever Paul goes, the first place he goes to in any city is where? Do you know? He goes to the Jewish synagogue first. Why? The good news was announced first through Jesus, who was born into a Jewish family, and so out of respect for God's people, Paul always goes to the Jewish synagogue first. Why? They've got the backstory. They have the Bible. They have the promises of the coming Messiah. They understand God's ways. And Jesus' teaching makes most sense to Jews because he speaks like a Jewish rabbi. So the most likely people, if you're going to start a business, go to the most likely audience first. Duh. That makes sense, right? You're going to start something? Go to the most likely audience. What does Paul find? Usually a couple of people accept. He infuriates a bulk of them. And he's kicked out of the synagogue or politely asked to never return. Or if they're city leaders, he is beaten for teaching a false doctrine. In some cases, he is left for dead. Why? Because he loves them. And so... Paul's pattern, if you read it, is inspiring or tragic. Because it goes to one city, Jewish synagogue, they kick him out. Then he goes to non-Jewish people, they accept, he starts a church. You go to the next town, where does he go? Synagogue. They kick him out. Then he goes to the non-Jewish community, they accept, he starts a church. He goes to the next city, he goes to the synagogue, they beat him up. And, and Paul's either thick or onto something because he keeps going back. And this makes sense when we hear what he's saying to this church. He's saying, I love them, and love sometimes leads us to lament. We, we're broken about what should be and is not. And, and maybe God can stir that in our own hearts this morning. What I'm asking God to do, and what we prayed, a group of us before you got here, we prayed that you would be stirred by the love of God, and that love would lead you to a, a sorrow and an unceasing anguish not in a depressing way, but, but in something that will motivate you to give your life away like Paul does. Now, what does it mean to give our life away? Look at verse 3. Because love sometimes leads us to lament. He says, for I, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from the Messiah, for this, which Messiah and Christ are the same thing. One is the Jewish term, one is the Greek term. Cut off from Jesus, you could say, for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So Paul is lamenting that his own people don't believe. Now why is he lamenting this? Why is he sorrowful? Because that's his story. If you know the story of Paul and read Acts 8 and then into Acts 9, Paul is one who is vehemently opposed to Jesus. He's putting people in prison if they're teaching the teachings of the way. And he is off to Damascus to, to uh, inflict punishment on people who are teaching the way of Jesus. 
And then he meets Jesus, the risen Savior. He's knocked off of his animal. He's blinded. And he hears the voice of Jesus himself. Saul, Saul, why are you against me? In other words, when you're against my people, you're against, when someone is against a Jesus follower, who are they against? Jesus. And Jesus has his people's back. Jesus steps in and says, stop inflicting pain on my people. I'm going to send you out. And Paul becomes a follower himself. So he's lamenting, I've encountered Jesus, but what about my own people? So what does it mean to feel sorrow? Now, he knows what he's asking is impossible. But real sorrow is like, God, can I take their place? I'll take their punishment. They've rejected you, and I know what rejecting you means. To reject Jesus is to reject life itself. And if you leave this life rejecting Jesus, who is life, you have no life. And that's the future for those who refuse to believe. And, and Paul says, I, I'll take it. If I could, I would take their punishment so that they would see Jesus and experience life in him. He tells another church in Corinth, one that he planted, he says, for the Messiah's love or Christ's love compels us because we're convinced one died for all, therefore all died. And he, he died for all, hear this, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. To know Jesus is to know life. And you know what life is? To live it for somebody else. That's really living. The people who are really experiencing the abundant life are those who've seen the secret to life, and it's by Jesus himself. If you give your life away, you're going to what? Find it. You hold on to your life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose it. So Paul's living in the rhythm of God, living in the rhythm of Jesus, and he says, we shouldn't live for themselves, but who died for them and was raised again. So we don't live for ourselves, we now live for the one who rescued us. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. When I follow Jesus, love begins to well up in my soul. And what should happen is this love is sometimes, not always, sometimes, sometimes it's going to lead me to lament. Like, why, why won't they follow? They know what's right. They've, they've heard the truth. They've, they've been in the gathering. They know who Jesus is and why, why do they refuse to really follow him? Not in a point the finger way. Lament isn't pointing the finger at people. Lament is pouring your heart to God saying, God, I'm, I know what's, what's right and good and I'm getting you and this is great, but what about them? So he says, I don't see people the way other people see people. And I think the true mark of a growing Jesus follower, you don't need to know how many Bible verses they've memorized or how many meetings they go to or how many concerts they've attended. Just look at how they see people and you will know the mark of Jesus. And when you are always pointing the finger at other people, then it shows you have a lot to learn about the love of God. But when your heart breaks for people and you're like, oh, 
Christ's love compels us. I get all touchy. My weekly therapy. But when you think all that God has done, I've got good notes. I may give it to Brian and have him finish it out. Brian, hang on, man. You may be, you may be needed. Thank you. Thank you. But your, if your heart doesn't really break for people, then what you need is the love of God. One step away, Brian, so get, get ready. So love sometimes leads us to lament, right? The second thing I want us to see is, is connected to it. Love compels us to sacrifice. Verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and were cut off from Christ for the sake of... Sorry, but I'm struggling because he calls them my people. And I wonder if we feel that way. Are they those people or are they my people? And there's a big difference. And as long as you see people as those people, chances are you're not going to do anything with your life. But when those people become my people, and you say, you know what? I'll take the hit so that they can receive God's blessing. Now, now, what are the advantages? Because he saw them. Look at what he says here. Theirs is the adoption to, to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. In other words, when you read Genesis and Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see that God's working. They had all the advantages. They knew God's word and they knew God's heart. They had the covenants. On, on the mountain, they received the very words from God. The receiving of the law, the temple worship, he showed them exactly where to go and meet with him. The promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Abraham, and Moses, and all the other leaders. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. And this is the interesting part. He doesn't say that Jesus is a part of Israel. This is very interesting. He says... From them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. Who is, who's the Messiah? Who is God overall to be forever praised? Amen. Jesus is not just one of the teachers in the line of Jewish thinkers. He is God come. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And because Jesus is unique, his human ancestry is traced back to Abraham, but he's unlike Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Moses and everyone else because God himself has come in the person of Jesus to do what no other person in Israel can do. No one could stand in my place. No one could stand in your place. Now, if you read the Bible, Moses 
at times stands in the place. When Israel goes off, Moses says, God, forgive them. I'll take the hit. David stands in the place of the people. Good godly leaders tried to to represent the people to God, but they were so rebellious, no one could fully do it. But Jesus did. Hear me. The love of God is most visibly seen in Jesus. So to know Jesus is to know God. And to know Jesus is to know life. And my friends, for that reason, he says, Amen. This is good news. But yet he says it with lament because they're not receiving it. And I don't know about you, but this is so relevant to following Jesus today. It's so easy to get caught up in the endless cycle of Christian meetings. And I think they're good. I mean, I want you here every week. And, and I hope that everyone would be connected to one of our communities. Why? So you could tick the box? No. But because if you don't have some people in your world that are following Jesus with you, you're going to find it very hard to do it by yourself. And you're going to be sorely disappointed when you're alone and hurting. But when you connect, there is life. Yeah, that's, I, I want that for you. But it's about more than that. And what you see in the heart of the Apostle Paul is the reason he puts his life on the line. Because love sometimes leads you to lament. And love, real love, will lead you to sacrifice for the good of someone else. You don't believe me? Look at, look at his bio. He tells the church in Corinth. I'll put it on the screen. You want to know his story? Five times I received from the Jews. From who? The Jews. Five times he received the beating of Jesus. 39 lashes or 40 lashes minus one. Jesus got it once. Paul got it five times. Could you imagine looking at his back. The funny thing is he doesn't stop at three. He doesn't stop at four. He keeps going. He says, three times I was beaten with rods on the feet. Why did they do that? Because everyone walked. And there was a severe form of punishment. You ever twist an ankle, stub a toe? He was beaten on the bottoms of his feet. Why? Because he would have to live with the pain. It must have been painful for him to walk. Once I was pelted with stones because he was telling the Jewish community Jesus is the Messiah. And they said heresy and they took him to the edge of town and they threw rocks at him until he wasn't moving and they looked and they said, oh, he's dead. And they walked away. If you read the story, he goes back into the town. He's either stupid or he's got guts. That's what love will compel you to do. Three times I was shipwrecked. Going on a cruise? No. To preach the gospel. I spent a night and day in the open sea holding on to wood. Because he loves people. I'm in constantly on the move. Duh. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. And I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. Could be physical. He's been beat to a pulp. I'm sure a lot of it was just 
You're thinking about the people you love. You're going in this town. You're like, is anyone going to listen? I've been hungry. I know I have known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides, <laughs> on top of it all, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You see, so Paul doesn't just love people who are outside of God's family, who are, are not listening. He's concerned about those that are following. And so his love is for those in the church and those outside the church, both. And that motivates him to sacrifice. And I want us, I want us to get that this morning. That's enough. We'll look at who the people of God are and what God was doing in Israel, now what he's doing in Jesus, and that's important. But I think what's doubly important as we move into a better weather season in our calendar, people actually show up now. Everyone's been hiding. You've been hiding. But now people are going out, and we're going to see smiles on faces and hikes and walks and gardening and all like all the the real season where we talk to one another is coming right but the question is what are we going to do about it you see love sometimes leads us to lament if we're going to do anything we have to feel something and so do we ever just cry out not i mean i'm an emotional basket case i'll confess so you don't have to physically cry to feel the love of god but do we do we feel anything for people who are hurting inside the community and outside. And coupled with that, does love compel you to do anything, to sacrifice? My friend, the mark of a mature and growing follower of Jesus is where someone is willing to go lower for the benefit of everybody else. Lower. Do the hard work. Take the tough shots. Be unknown, unseen, unglamorous. Those who are really growing and mature in Jesus are not looking for lights and microphones. They're looking for an opportunity to give and just show up. I wonder if we're stirred. Now, God in his goodness does this in your life and in my life to stir us. So I could tell you why I love kids. I love kids because we couldn't have kids. Here we go. I can't talk about kids without crying because when you can't have, you love them. I think I need a week off. <laughs> but but we, what we love, we feel deeply about. So why, why love other people? I think it's because my brother was so slow. I need some help. My brother was so slow to follow Jesus. My younger brother, my older brother, quick. Myself, quick. My sister, quick. My parents, when I was a kid, they didn't grow up following Jesus. And so why be concerned for others? Because I watched my younger brother, great, successful, hardworking, but full of all sorts of addictions and issues, far from God. And I know we would lament because he was this close. He knew the Bible stories, but they didn't do anything in his soul. I kid you not, we schemed. Uh, he, he loves sports. He's a good athlete. And so we'd play golf. I kid you not, we would email each other 
as a family, I'm going to play golf with Raphael. Pray that he comes to Jesus. Is that manipulation? Heck yes. <laughs> it's the best kind of loving manipulation you could ever have. We would cry. But now, he loves Jesus. <laughs> I think I seriously need some care, John. I need some love. <laughs> Why am I caught up in this? Why? Why spend a week on lament? Because if you don't feel, you won't do. If you don't care, you won't sacrifice. So next first Sunday, the easy one is to spend an hour and put together 50,000 meals. That's easy. The pallets are going to show up. The bags will be here, the lines, the pump and thump and music. It's going to be fun. And that's a good place to start. But that's not, that's not it. That's just one slice. I want to make it so simple, everyone can do it. It starts with a name, one name, one person. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Next 24 hours. Between this time, between 11.10, Monday, to share one thing about Jesus with one person. That's it. Out of love. Not because I said you got 24 hours and some are legalistic. If it takes you 36, great. I don't care. My point is love motivates us to sacrifice. And that means taking a risk. You know what? That may mean having an awkward conversation with someone that you've known for 10 years. And guess what? They don't know you love Jesus. You're like, how am I even going to go there? Well, ask the Holy Spirit, what's one thing I can point about the love of Jesus to this one person? If everyone here had in their mind, and I'm going to ask you to think about it right now, just one, what... You probably have five, 10, 20. You could have a whole dorm room full of them. One person. Out of love, would you ask God to give you the right words at the right time to share one thing about the love of Jesus with that one person? And if we lived that way and loved that way, Hillsborough and Beaverton and the surrounding area. Portland would be a different city if it started with everyone loving one person for real and sacrificing for their good. So we're going to respond. Um, I invite you to stand in a second. Don't get, and we're going to worship this God who's worthy. The Messiah, Jesus, is worthy of all praise. And let's respond in the right ways. If you're not following him, look, no one has anything bad to say. But out of love, today is a great day to start. And this morning, you can walk out of here. One of God's sons or daughters, you can really follow him today. Maybe you never have. Maybe you've just gone off course. This morning, when we respond with singing, as we sing in your own way, say to God, I mean this from my heart. I want to follow you. Help me to love you. Help me to listen. And, and God will meet you 
right where you're at. He always does. Then for many of us, we need God to break our heart because our heart has become infected by all of the stuff in our culture and world that's saying you're you're so important. You matter so much. You're you need this. You deserve this. You're you you. And and we need God to step in with some truth and break that. And say, "Well, yeah, you are important, but so is everybody else." And you matter because you can do a lot of good. And so we want God to do that for us. Respond in ways that make sense. If you've not yet been baptized in water, it's the first thing Jesus' followers do. You say, well, that's that's not my first thing. Okay, we'll make it the next thing. And when we open the tables in a couple of minutes, we're also going to open up the the tank once again. And and if you want to respond in obedience to the love of God, and and be baptized, we'd love to do that as well, all right? Why don't you stand on your feet? Lord, we love you, and we're grateful that you brought us here, and now you're filling us over and over with your love, Jesus. We respond to you. We love you.